beginning uh, before Thanksgiving, I started a series called The Holy Days Are Here. And we talked about Thanksgiving, especially from a Christian perspective and what, it, what that really means. And now I'm doing, uh, it's known in some places, the Advent season. I never called it that. If you don't know me, I'm a redneck from South Carolina. So words like that's not in our vocabulary. You know, it's, that's a highfalutin' word to us. But what it means is the time of Christmas or the Christmas time. And there's usually four words associated with that. And they are hope, love, uh, peace, and joy. And that's the order in which I'll take them. Uh, and, and so we talked about hope last week. And I, I got this, I pulled up a bulletin. I don't usually do this. Um, because in there are scriptures. And last week... Um, due to my own failure, I didn't get that hope side done for you. So this is a two-sided one that's hope. The verse is about hope on one side. And uh, today uh, is love. And I'll go ahead and tell you, if you want to add Romans 1, 3 through 4 to the love side that we'll be talking about, because I didn't put that one in the printed outline, so she didn't have it there, but I uh, thought about that one later. But I'm doing it in that order. And the reason I put them in that order, because it doesn't matter. I mean, this isn't a biblical thing as far as those four words and putting them in a certain order. Um, but I'm doing it that way because uh, hope, which is a confident expectation, uh, we, are hope, we were hopeful that God was going to send the Messiah. He promised. Today, we're talking about love, which is the action that the hope uh, is, is seen by. The hope came, Jesus came, but he brought to us the love of God, which you heard in that video, and I'll mention something about that later, which leads to peace with God, because God is the one that was offended by our sin, and he is the one who must be appeased. Some people think that when Jesus died, he paid off the devil to redeem us. But the reality is he paid God's righteous payment, a judgment on sinful man, so that we could go free. And God is now, his frown has turned to a smile toward us, because Jesus has forgiven us. And that ought to bring us peace with God, and the peace of God as we live our lives, no matter what's going on around us. And if you got all that happening, you ought to have some joy. Amen. So that's how I'm thinking about it. And I hope you can hang in there with me. And today we're talking about love. And as a kid, I, I really didn't understand what that word meant. Because uh, as the film alluded to, we have one word for that in our English language. The only word we have for for love is love. He gave a couple examples, pizza, grandma, uh, you could love sports, you can love your hobby, you can love your car, you can love a lot of things, or you can love your wife. And obviously, if those things are comparative, then we, we got a problem, right? In the Greek language, the New Testament was written in, he used that word agape, which is a God kind of love. And I want to give you a definition for it that I learned wasn't that film. That film was really good. That was a great thing. Uh, there as well. But I'm going to give you a definition for God's kind of love. But before I do that, let me go on. There are two other words in Greek, at least, about love. One is phileo, which Philadelphia, the city, Delphos, the city, and phila is love, brotherly love. It, it means like we're friends, we're good buddies. Uh, agape is a pure type of love. Doesn't matter what the person's doing, you just have a uh, uh, care for them anyway. The third kind of love is just that physical pleasure. Eating an apple brings me the physical pleasure of food, the sweetness of the taste, the filling of my belly. Um, any kind of, of sensual fulfillment is that kind of love. And uh, it pleases my senses. You know, go to the beach and the wind and the waves and the sand. Some people that aggravates, that makes me happy. Or being in the woods at 33 degrees and drizzling rain by myself makes me happy. Um, <laughs> 
because uh, nobody else is going to be there in those conditions. I have fallen asleep under a tree, 33 degrees and raining, I promise you. But uh, anyway, so as a kid, I really didn't understand what love really was. Um, because, I mean, there's plenty of songs. I, I'll show my age. Back then, they had the song, What the World of Sweet Love. Yeah, I looked it up today, and I'm not going to sing it, play it, or read you the lyrics. But just trust me, and you can look up the lyrics later. They never define love in there. And most of the times when people talk about love, they never define it. It's just, oh, we just got to love people. What does that mean? Well, you got to love your children. What does that mean? You, you see, we need to know the definition of the words we're using. Because if, if you don't, somebody will be saying something that means something other than what you're thinking. You know, I think what you're saying, you don't, you don't know what it is you're saying when you say that sometimes kind of idea. And, and so, so what is that biblical word for God's kind of love, agape? That means it doesn't matter what you do. I care for you. I take care of you anyway. And uh, I'm trying not to use the word love in its own definition. Let me give you the definition that, that I learned about love from a good friend of mine, and he got it from somebody else. But, and so we have to define love. And here's my definition for agape love. Love is, and, and you may want to write this down, it's kind of long, self-denial, which they showed in that film clip, in order to give myself to the one loved. Not a gift, not a thing, but to give myself to the one loved for their sake. Seeking nothing in return. Self-denial in order I may give myself to the one love, seeking nothing in return. For their sake, seeking nothing in return. That's the definition of John 3.16. In fact, that's John 3.16 put in different words. God so loved the world, he gave, denied himself, his only son, for their sake, that all who believe in him might not perish, but have everlasting life, seeking nothing in return. It doesn't say, and so then you'd give... No, God just loves us because God loves us, period. But God is also a God of, of righteousness and justice and, and, and wrath. And we, we also see that. But those of us who know God understand uh, His love and, and this definition of love. And I, I, I mentioned also Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to how it says it in Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us. The reason he has mercy is because he loves us. Mercy is a result of loving something. You don't have mercy on those that you don't love. And so God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The salvation that God brings to us is a result of. His love for us and His mercy to us. And so, this is a statement I want you to take. Uh, well, let me read these verses. I, I pulled out these verses. Um, most preachers are scared to even mention the Song of Solomon. But I'm not. Um, I'm not afraid, that is. Um, it's a great, great uh, uh, literature written uh, by probably uh, King Solomon. And in uh, and, and Song of Solomon, and it's a picture... Of Christ's love for his church uh, as well. And in, in chapter 2, and this is a verse you probably have heard, he brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me is love. God brings us into his house, and we eat fully at his table, and he puts a, a, a banquet, he puts a banner over us that says love. This is God's 
you know, people say, well, the God of the Old Testament, he was wrathful, really. It says right here that his banner over us is love. And John 15, 9, Jesus talks about love. I know I should print these out, shouldn't I? In John 15, 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Abide means live within the confines of, so stay within God's love. How much does the Father love the Son? That's how much He loves us. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So that's God's definition of love. And, and what I want you to take home with you, the cost of God loving us is higher than a man can go. We could, not have, we could not have earned God's love. We couldn't even ask for it, beg for it. God loves us because that is a sovereign act of his will, not because we did anything to make him love us. And so we are the beneficiaries of that. And when you realize who you are and who God is, you don't, you'll quit thinking you earned that or deserve that. When you realize that how sinful our sin is to God, you realize what a great price he had to pay. In fact, he had to put on flesh, live with us, and die his death in our place on a cross so that we could know God. So the first thing, we've read those verses. Would you just join me in prayer and then we'll look at something real quick. Father, I thank you indeed for the love that you've bestowed upon us, Lord. The love that you showed us in Christ. Lord, when we were the least deserving, the least worthy, the least of all creation, you exalted us in Christ and you saved us and made us your children and your sons. Lord, when we were the only thing in the whole universe in rebellion against you other than Satan, um, whom we were following and the garden and on, Lord, you saved us anyway. And so, Lord, we thank you for that and we pray this day that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your word. Lord, anoint my, my mind, my lips, my heart, that uh, my mind would be clear, my heart would be pure, and my lips and tongue would speak clearly the message of, uh, that you have for us today. And Lord, we know that these things come only from you, and we pray that in our lives we will apply uh, the good things that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Some people think that God loves uh, uh, without any reason or thought, that God is just love, uh, and, and God truly is love, and there's no doubt about the, the fact that God is love. But, but love by itself is meaningless unless it has a counterbalance. Now, er, anything in life is meaningless without a counterbalance. God made it that way in our lives. And Andy, I'll be real careful. I know I shouldn't put water on an electronic thing, but I'll be real careful. I'll keep the lid on. I know you were. Um, but... So, so for love to mean anything, there has to be hatred. There has to be evil. And the one who hated us was the devil, right? God never hated us. God loved us, but we rebelled against him. And God's justice had to be served. The soul that sins, it shall die. And so there was a need for redemptive love. And in Genesis 3.15, God hints to us, I don't think that Adam and Eve understood what God was saying, and Adam and Eve were real people. He created two people from whom all people came. People have scoffed at that for many, many centuries, uh, but God has allowed uh, us to understand DNA and the human genome now uh, due to a local fella, in fact, was one of the main reasons for that, and, and has found out that everybody came from 
two people. <laughs> um, that is now a scientifically proven uh, fact, and it's pretty awesome. Um, I love when science finally catches up to the Bible. But anyway, but we had a need because we sinned. Adam and Eve literally sinned. Uh, I, I was listening to a man describe that this week, and he said, these creatures from the dirt dared to defy a majestic, holy creator God. And what did they think was going to happen? That God who said, the soul that sins, it shall die, didn't die the day they sinned. But in his mercy gave time for redemption. But the greater curse came upon Satan. And in Genesis 3.15, as it describes what God says about that, this is God talking to the snake, the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman. That is an eternal warfare. Okay? You will hate each other for the rest of your existence. And between your offspring and her offspring, and in that word offspring in, the, in the, this version kind of doesn't give us. It says the seed of the woman uh, in the King James, which helps us understand something. He's not talking about a woman having a normal baby. There's only four ways babies are made. They're made without a mother. They're made without a father. They're made without a mother or father. And the rest of us come with a mother and father. Adam was made without a mother or father. Eve was made without a mother. Jesus was made without an earthly father. And the rest of us come the normal way. Right? The only woman to ever bear seed apart from a man being involved was Mary. Right? So her offspring, her seed, and it says, He shall bruise your head... And uh, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heels. Saying that the offspring of the woman would bruise or crush the, the, the head of Satan, the head of the snake, which Jesus did. The entrance of sin came there in the garden when God had said, you can eat anything you want except that one thing. And so, of course, uh, and we still have the same human nature. What you tell a kid he can't do is the first thing he's going to try to do, right? And same thing for you. Don't, don't just fuss at the children. You do the same thing. I, if you see a sign that says wet paint, what do you do? I wonder how old that sign is. <laughs> right? Is it really wet? And you'll touch it. Instead of going, oh, it's wet, let me not touch it. We are always pushing the envelope. We're always going up to the edge. And, uh, and, and that can be a positive thing, but, but it can also lead to great harm. And so God in Genesis 3.15 is promising that there's a victorious warrior coming. There's someone who's going to be born to a woman who, who's not going to have an earthly father and is going to crush the head of Satan because Jesus, uh, God is talking to the, uh, the snake right there. And that he is going to be born to us. And there was a need for that kind of redemptive love because, as I've already described, we had rebelled against God and he had a penalty. We, we struggle with this today because we have lost... So many absolutes in life. There was a time where everybody knew this is the way it is. This is what it means. And now sometimes when we're brought up by this is the way it is, we see, this, we see the rebellion. We see it in every area of life. We see it in, uh, in our personal lives. We see it in, in politics especially. It's very rare for a politician to do what he actually said he was going to do. And we've seen a few of those through time. I mean, in my lifetime, I've seen some. I remember uh, when, when President Reagan was elected and the air traffic controllers went on strike and he said, uh, you signed a contract that said you would never strike against the U.S. government. You strike, you lose your job. And they had pulled this stuff before, so they went on strike anyway. 
So he hired new people. And they said, okay, we'll come off strike and we'll take our jobs back. He said, no, you won't. You're fired. And it blew their mind. They didn't know that people like, some people actually mean what they say. But we see it in parents. Parents tell their kid, don't do that again. Don't do that again. <laughs> Why? What you going to do about it? Is what the kid's saying when he does it the second time. So if you enforce it the first time, they don't try it the second time. Or they'll try it twice to see, did you, is that going to be consistent? Or did he just do it that once? And so when God speaks, that's it. He doesn't have to speak again. Because God is God, right? And so we, we get confused. And Adam and Eve, I don't know what they were thinking. But maybe they weren't thinking. And they ate that apple and God says, you died. And they spiritually died right away. But physically, he left them alive. And, and, and as a way of showing us and covered their nakedness with his grace. Made the clothes for them. And promise there's coming a guy one day that's going to take care of this issue. It's going to take care of this problem because sinful man cannot enter into the presence of a holy God. And so we needed somebody to help us out. And the love of God brought that about. And we see the line in, through how God was going to bring that about. We see it in 2 Samuel and chapter 7. And if you want to find that, it's not too far into the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel chapter 7... I know y'all have electronic Bibles, but I love to hear pages wrestling. So if you got a Bible, would you just flip the pages back and forth? Just make me feel better. Nothing else. Second Samuel chapter 7 and verse says God making a promise to David. In 2 Samuel 7, 16, God says to David, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established Forever. Now, here's my question. How can there be a forever throne without a forever king to sit on it? See, David's throne lasted until about 500 B.C., somewhere in that area. It's 583, actually, B.C. And you were studying about today in Sunday school, Daniel, he's living in the exile after Babylon comes in, destroys Israel. Uh, the northern kingdom and takes them away. And Daniel's writing prophecies in captivity. Well, where was the king? Well, he was carried there. He kept having children. You can read those genealogies in Matthew and Luke. One comes through Joseph, one comes through Mary. If there had been a king in the days of Jesus, it would have been his dad, Joseph. And so there was a problem with having an everlasting throne without an everlasting king because the kings kept conking out. They needed a new one. But God kept that throne active and knowing who it was until the days of Jesus. And Jesus would have been the rightful heir to that throne through his father uh, legally and through his mother physically. And he died. Then he got back up. <laughs> and he didn't die again. And he's still alive and he's sitting on the throne in heaven. And it's the throne of David. It's the promise of God. Actually, I've spoiled it. it that was coming later, but I'll go ahead and say it now. God went through a lot to create that family line. I mean, he picked Abraham and he took Abraham and made him a huge family. And, well, made his grand, great-grandson a huge family. And out of that family, he made a clan. Out of that clan, he made a nation under the protection of Egypt. And then he brought that nation out of Egypt and delivered them to the land of Israel. And in that land, he picked a tribe, Judah, and a family, the family of Jesse and a person, David, and said, David out of you is going to come 
And you, you say, well, that, that's all nice you said that, but these, that's the same argument Jesus gave the Pharisees. Well, let me ask you a question. Who was David talking about when he said the Messiah was going to be Lord, when he said the Lord? Uh, his son. Well, how can David call his son Lord if David's the Lord, unless the son is God? And so the heir of David was God in the flesh, and he still sits on that throne. God made this promise to King David, but only a Messiah could do that. Only the Messiah could do that. If you look in Romans chapter 1, again, we see this. And Romans 1 is the kind of the summation of how this came about, not, not all that about the physical, but listen to what it says. In Romans 1 verses 3 and 4, you might... If, if you didn't add that already, put that on your sheet of paper. Concerning his son. Well, let me back it up. Verse 2. Well, but Paul, a servant of Jesus, Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus. All the promises are about Jesus, who was descended from David. By the way, let me just say that again. All the promises in the Old Testament are concerning Jesus. And when we come under the authority of Jesus and he becomes our Lord, that's why 2 Corinthians 1 says, as many as may be the promises of God in Jesus, they are yes. Because in Jesus, they are yes. And if we belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to us and the Holy Spirit lives in us and his man over me is love and I'm his beloved and I'm his. And he said, you can use my name at the Father, then all the promises to Jesus are ours as well. You just got to understand that. And so listen to what it says. Concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. promise that God made in the Old Testament that Jesus is the king and this is the love of God that God would put on human flesh and live with us. Why would God do that? I wasn't going to use this illustration, but... I can't think of a better one, so I'm going to do it anyway. But it, the story, somebody was telling me they read a devotion. It was a similar story there. They heard it, it was a squirrel. I heard it was ants. Um, but some guy was watching these ants one day, and he noticed they were struggling with something. And he had the thought, if I could just become an ant, and then I could explain to them what they need to do differently to make that easier. And then what kind of man could become an ant, and why would you want to? And that is a pale comparison that here we are lost in sin and dying and going to hell deservedly so. And why would the creator God who made all things in this, he already dealt with Satan and those angels and now this puny human which is less powerful than them dares to defy a holy God. Instead of just crushing us, he becomes one of us and lives a perfect life. And deserves nothing but glory and takes a cross. And dies in our place on a cross to pay for our sin. And then raises from the dead to show that that sin has been paid for and to enforce that. You see, the form of redemptive love, God came to us in a baby. In Isaiah chapter 9, and this is the most familiar text. And we, we trot it out every Christmas, but you ought to read it all year long, really. In Romans chapter 9, I mean Isaiah chapter 9. In verses 6 and 7 is kind of a summary 
For unto us, or for to us, a child is born and a son is given. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Lord of hosts means the captain of God's armies. I, I, you've heard that text many, many times. So I began to ask myself some questions to, to make it not just something I've heard, but what does it mean? And, and so I want to present those questions with the answers to you. To whom is the child born? Uh, let me go ahead and let you answer that one. What does the text say? To whom is the child born? To us. He was given to us. He wasn't just Mary's and Jesus came to us. He's been given to us. God has put himself in a vulnerable position. He came to us. And what does he bear? What is on his shoulders? What is he carrying? The what? The government. The government of the world and the government of the kingdom. The real government. The unchangeable government. I, I, I want to make a statement that sounds really like woo, weird. Nothing in this room is real. Now that's not totally true, but neither is it totally false. It's real. It's solid. It's here. This isn't a... Thank you. You're safer over there. Why don't you stay there? This, this is real. It's physical. It's not a figment of our imagination. But what in here will last forever? And the answer is nothing. Even my body. My soul will last forever, but we can't see that. You see, the visible is the eternal. There's only three eternal things in the universe. God, God's Word, and the souls of men. Those three things will last forever. You say, what about the lost? They don't, they're not annihilated. They die forever in hell, apart from God. Separation from God is enough, but hell's also got some other stuff going on. It ain't too pleasant. But they are never annihilated. They never cease to exist. They are eternally dying. We will be eternally living. And to live is to be regenerated constantly, right? And so, the government, that's the real government. United States, Russia, China, Ukraine, all the other kingdoms of this world. Isaiah, through the prophet Isaiah, God said, Ah, oh, they're like, they're like uh, dust on the scale. No, they're like a drop in the bucket. No, they're like nothing. Uh, actually, they're less than nothing to me. All these mighty kingdoms and all these mighty countries and rulers that exist today and have existed for history are less than nothing to God. But the government will be on his shoulders. The government that lasts forever. The kingdom, the, the throne of David it's called. But he's not just preserving it for David's sake. David, he had David create it for the Messiah's sake. To make it an eternal kingdom. And Jesus carries the weight of that government on his shoulders. And so how long does he bear it? In the second part of that, verse 7, it says, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be 
Oh, it's eternal, just like he told David it would be. And so what, is, what are Jesus' titles? He's Wonderful Counselor. What does that mean? That a counselor is someone who's a comforter, one who helps us, and he's a wonderful counselor. He's the one that gives us the words of life. Remember, Jesus had been doing miracles, and people are following him because they're getting their needs met. They're getting fed when they're hungry with just a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. He can feed a multitude. People get sick. No worries. He can heal them. They die. He can raise them from the dead. And so, man, you're drawing a crowd. And then he turns around the crowd, and he goes, oh, by the way, if you think you're following me, you're not unless you're willing to take up a cross and die on it with me. And the Bible says, and they ceased from following him that day. And they started walking away until there were 12 men standing there. And Jesus looked at them and said, y'all going too? Now, I don't think Jesus was saying that like you and I would say it like, well, you're going to leave as well, like out of depression or anger. He just wanted them to realize where they were. <laughs> Y'all going too? And Peter said, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. He says, okay, now that you've got it, I'm going to let you in on the secrets. Here we go. And that's where Jesus turns and he starts working with those 12 men going, this is what it's going to be like. This is what's going to happen. It's not going to be an easy road. It's not always going to be, you know, sunshine and roses. By the way, young people, if you're not married yet, let me tell you already. But, sun, but moonlight and roses turns to sunlight and dishes real fast. And there's multitudes following Jesus. And when he says, oh man, it's all moonlight and roses. Let me tell you what the sunlight and dishes look like. And they went, no thank you. And they're gone. Except 12. And one of them's going to leave later. And those men said, we'll, we'll stick it out. And they did. And they passed that on to us. He's a wonderful counselor. And when we're in the middle of all that, he says, listen, hang in there. <laughs> what you're going through is temporary. It's not even real because the reality is what you're going to get when you get here. He is the mighty God. He's not some puny God. He's not an add-on God. He's not something you think about just on Sundays. He is the eternal God. He is the majestic God. He is the ruler of all things because he created all things. And he created them out of nothing. He created the matter and then he formed it. And he did all of that. You and I may be able to take pre-existing matter and form it into something beautiful like a building like this, like a pulpit desk up here, like a piano. But only God can create the material he needs to make what he's going to make. And when he did, he said it's good. And he is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. He will always be our Father. He, that kind of relationship to us. Everlasting. And he is the Prince of peace. We'll be talking about peace two weeks from now, or next week actually. We'll be talking about that peace. He is the prince of that. He is the one who brings that to bear. And I have one other question out of this. Upon whom's throne does he sit? David's throne. Fulfilling the prophecy of Samuel, showing us in Romans when he says it again, this is the throne of David. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecies. And only the Messiah could, could, could fulfill them all, but he did. And he filled them all to show us the love of God brought to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So what can you do about that today? Well, I would dare to guess, and I would probably be correct in guessing this, in an auditorium this size and a crowd this big, some of you don't know him. 
You know about him. You've heard about him. You may even say, I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus is God. But the Bible says devils believe he's God and that he's real. So that's no better. That, that you just get up to demon status when you believe in God. You see, to know God is to follow Christ step for step and to be with him wherever he goes, whether it's to a banqueting table or to a cross, it doesn't matter because we love him and we want to be with him no matter where he is. I've told you before, I'll illustrate that with my own children. I would say, hey, you want to go with me? Where are you going? Never mind, I get in the car and leave. When they were little, if they had to know where I was going to be with me, well then forget it. Now if they jumped in the car and said, sure, I mean they caught on pretty quick. <laughs> Sure, boom, they're in the car. Mom, I'm going with Dad. That meant we're going to stop 7-Eleven get us, you know, icy or something. Because they went with me, man. I was going to make sure they knew it was worth it, right? God says, go with me. So where are we going? He goes, never mind. Yeah, yeah I, I, I just want to know. Why do you need to know? I'm in the boat. How, how big a storm does it take to sink a boat God's in? Let's get in the boat, man. I got it. Let's go. Where are we going? See, I'm ADD. This isn't hard for me. Some of y'all are planners. And it really freaks you out when it doesn't go according to plan. I'm just like, cool, let's go. What's going to happen? I don't know. Let's go. It'll be fun. Let's figure it out. Right? Well, I, I'm not saying it's that cavalier, but I'm just telling you, God says, follow me. Jesus walks up to two fishermen on the shore and goes, follow me. And Bob says they left their nets and followed him. That's what God wants from us. And so in an auditorium this size... Maybe you don't realize that you've offended a holy God. And he's none too happy about that. And the only thing that will turn God's frown into a smile is the blood of Jesus. And your absolute total surrender to him. This isn't a, yeah, I, I, I want God on my side, so I'm going to acknowledge God and I hope he saves me and I don't go to hell. No, this is, yep, I give up everything. I'm going to do whatever you say. Because God may ask you to change some decisions that you may have already made that you can change. If, if Some you can't, but he may lead you in a direction and you think you don't want to go. But I promise you this, whether as a lost person you think you don't want to go there, as a saved person it's the only place you'll want to go. Because the, the being in the center of the will of God is the greatest place to be. No matter what the storm is there, no matter what else is going on, hey, I'm with Jesus, you know. You know those t-shirts, I'm with the band? Well, he's the band. And you get to be with him. And in fact, when you're with him, you're in the band. It's a wonderful thing to know. I'm just talking to the old hippies like me, okay? You need to acknowledge your need for the Savior. But I'm not just talking to people that are lost. Sometimes people are saved. Every day, God, is, God saved me, God is saving me, and God will save me. You've got to understand that. This isn't a, boop, okay, don't worry about it anymore. No, there was a point saving me, and he saved me there, and he made it real in my life. And the rest of my life, he is in the process of making, conforming me to the image of Christ, transforming me to the image of Christ. And then one day, whether I die or he comes back, he's going to ultimately save me, and he's going to finish the job. And so salvation is not something that just happens and we forget about it. It's something that every day, and so on that I put daily. Maybe you need to do it for the first time, but tomorrow morning when you get up, man, if you're saved, you all say, Lord, thank you. Today you're saving me. Today you're with me. You said you'd never leave me or forsake me, so I know whatever happens today, you're saving me. And no matter what happens today, you're with me. 
And so I would just acknowledge that, just to keep yourself focused to where you stand in relation to God. And then I would say, submit to God's plan as your gift of obedience. The Bible talks about we offer a gift of sacrifice of praise in Hebrews. To thank God and to be thankful to Him for, for, for what He has done for you. And that can be your gift of obedience as you submit to God's plan. Say, I'll do whatever you say. I, I was telling our Sunday school class, I saw this week, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to bring up college football, but you probably won't, I probably won't go where you think I'm going. But, um, and if you don't keep up with college football, there's a team in Alabama, I forget their name. I'm just kidding. The Alabama Crimson Tide, they are legendary. You know, there are a lot of good teams, they're legendary. And they had a quarterback who is already legendary, and he still play, he was playing for them, named Tua Tagula, I can't say his name. He's from Hawaii, and he's a Christian young man. And two games ago, or three games ago, he got injured badly. He will never play college football again. They think he'll play pros. It, it's, a, you know, it's just a long recovery process, and he'll probably be able to play in the pros, but, and he'll probably be drafted very high because he's, he was pheno he's a phenomenal quarterback. Last week, Sorry to bring this up, but I'm pointing to my Alabama friends. They lost their most important game of the year against Auburn. And Tua was there, injured, but he's there. And a reporter got in his face and asked him about it. And here's the first words out of his mouth. First of all, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for giving me the grace and the strength to be here today to support my team. That is a young man without pride. That is a young man who understands every day I live, even if I never pick up a football to play it again, I thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I said, I like that guy. What a man of God. Submit yourself to God's plan. You know, air, oh, man, you listen. If you listen to news of any sort, don't believe any of it. <laughs> I think it was Jefferson who says a man who doesn't read the newspaper is, is uninformed and he who reads the newspaper is misinformed. And that's still true. That's a guy that looks through all that fluff and all that, oh, you're the greatest ever to say, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And so he submits to God's plan for him in obedience and in gratitude. I thought it was a great illustration for me anyway. And lastly, I would say worship Jesus as Lord. And this week, tell one person the good news, that God loves them. That they can know Christ, that they can know the Creator God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and let somebody know that God loves you so much that God put on flesh and dwelt among us. And took the name Emmanuel, God with us. He was given to us, for us. And not by us, but to us and for us so that we can know him. And so this week, I pray that you will just soak in the fact that God loves you, not because you deserved it, but because God is an awesome, almighty God. Lord, we thank you this day.